0: the revelation of God that He has made of Himself. And my first passage will be Job chapter 11. Job chapter 11, verses 7 through 9. Job 11, 7 through 9. <clears throat> Canst thou by searching find out God? Canst thou find out the Almighty unto perfection? It is as high as heaven what canst thou do? Deeper than hell, what canst thou know? The measure thereof is longer than the earth and broader than the sea. This passage is teaching us very plainly that the knowledge of God is something that is beyond us, that we cannot by our own searching and inquisition find out God unto perfection. It's as high as heaven, deeper than hell, longer than the measure of the earth and broader than than the sea. Notice the dimensions. Height, depth, length, breadth, and it's something that you and I by searching cannot find out. So that man merely with his unaided reason cannot find out God. Yet it's interesting to take that passage and compare it with Ephesians chapter 3 and verses 17 and 18. Ephesians chapter 3 says, 17 and 18. Remember the dimensions that were mentioned there in Job chapter 11, the height, the depth, the length, and the breadth. Notice we come over here and we read in Ephesians three seventeen and 18, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that ye, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able. Now remember over here in Job 11, we're not able. But now in Ephesians 3, we're able to comprehend With all saints, what is the breadth and length and depth and height. So what we saw in Job that uh, man by his own searching could not comprehend, now may be comprehended. In other words, man left to himself cannot find out God. The only way that man can ever find God is if God reveals himself to him. Otherwise, there is no finding of God. And this revelation has been made. Jesus Christ said this in Matthew chapter 11 and verse 27. You cannot know God unless God shows himself to you. Man by searching cannot find God. In Matthew 11, it's too great. He's too high. He's too deep. He's too long. He's too broad. Only by a revelation can man come to comprehend the length and the breadth and the depth and the height. In Matthew 11:27 all things are delivered unto me of my father said Jesus and no man knoweth the son but the father neither knoweth any man the father no man knows god said jesus doesn't that link up with what we saw there in the book of job that you cannot by searching find out the almighty no man knoweth the father save the son the only man that knows god is jesus christ and he to whomsoever the Son will reveal him. The only way that God can be known is if Jesus Christ reveals him. And Jesus Christ indeed has done that. That was his very purpose for coming into the world. According to John chapter 1 and verse 18, John 1, 18, No man hath seen God at any time. You cannot, by searching, find out God. No man had seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, which is in the bosom of the Father, He hath declared Him. See, no man knows the Father save the Son, and He to whomsoever the Son will reveal Him. Christ makes known God, reveals God, declares God. 1 John 5.20, stating the purpose for the coming of Christ, said, 1 John 5.20, we know that the Son of God is come. 1 John 5.20, the Son of God is come and hath given us an understanding. See, we can now comprehend the length and breadth and depth and height of God. Hath given us an understanding that we may know him that is true. And we are in him that is true, even in his Son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. So that man, by his own searching, cannot find out God. But God has been pleased to reveal himself in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it is by that means that we know God. God revealed himself in Christ. 1 Timothy 3.16 says that God was manifest in the flesh. If you want to know what God is like, look at the flesh of Jesus Christ. If you could convert deity into flesh, that's what deity looks like. Because God declared himself in the Son. Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Here's where we find God, in Jesus Christ. God was manifest in the flesh. The Son declared him. He has given us an understanding that we may know him that is true. Therefore, we are left with the unavoidable conclusion that if a man does not know Jesus Christ and does not believe in Jesus Christ, he does not know God. Simple as that. Because that is where God has made himself known. And there's no other way you can find it out. No man knows the Father but the Son. So if you're going to know the Father, you're going to have to find it out by means of the Son of God. Now, Jesus Christ took this revelation of God that he made to men, and he committed it to his apostles. He said in John chapter 15, John 15 and verse 15, and he's speaking to his apostles because he goes on down there in verse 27 of the same chapter and says that these men had been with him from the beginning. Jesus said, Henceforth I call you not servants, for the servant knoweth not what his Lord doeth. But I have called you friends for all things that I have heard of my father, I have made known unto you so that Jesus Christ he declares God to us. What he receives from the father, he makes known to us. And he's talking there specifically to his apostles. And those apostles took that revelation of God that was made in Jesus Christ, and they recorded it for us in the Holy Scripture. So that when we read their writings, we are reading the revelation that was made of God in Jesus Christ, and thus we come to comprehend the length and the depth and the breadth and the height. Now, this, of course, is seen in 1 John chapter 1. 1 John 1. Notice this revelation that's made of that God whom no man hath seen and no man by searching can find out. In 1 John 1, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and our hands have handled. Notice a revelation here to the senses of man, something that they can see and hear and handle. And of the word of life, for the life was manifested. See, here's the manifestation of God. For the life was manifested, and we have seen it, and bear witness, and show unto you that eternal life, which was with the Father, and was manifested unto us. That which we have seen and heard, declare we unto you, that ye also may have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship is with the Father, and with His Son, Jesus Christ. Notice that these persons to whom John is writing will relate to God Only so far as they relate to what these apostles tell them about God Which information they receive from Jesus Christ You see the only way we can know God Find out God and relate to God Is through Jesus Christ and the revelation that was made of God There in Jesus Christ And they said, these things, these things that we've seen and heard about Jesus Christ, where the revelation of God was made, these things write we unto you, that your joy may be full. So there we have God revealing himself to us in Jesus Christ, which revelation is recorded in the word of God. However, remember what Jesus said. Now, here, the revelation of God is made and penned for us in the Scripture. But remember, remember what Jesus said. He said, No man knoweth the Father save the Son, and him to whomsoever the Son will reveal him. And in this process of revelation that we may know God, there's two sides to that. There's two ends to that. There is first of all the act of revelation wherein God revealed himself in Jesus Christ, and that revelation was recorded in the Scripture. And yet there's something else in terms of revelation that has to happen before a man can find God, even in the Scripture. Something else has to happen. Turn to Ephesians chapter 1, Ephesians chapter 1, verses 17 and 18. Paul prayed for the Ephesians that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him. You see, two things have to happen for men to be able to find God and to comprehend God. That is, God must declare Himself. And God has done that in the person of Jesus Christ, which declaration is recorded in the Holy Scripture. These things have we written unto you. But... There's also something else. And that is the individual must be given himself the Holy Spirit so that he is able to comprehend and receive that revelation. For remember, the natural man without the Spirit of God receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him, neither can he know them, for they are spiritually discerned. So Paul prayed for these believers to have the Holy Spirit in the knowledge of God. Do you see that? so no man knoweth the father save the son and he to whomsoever the son will reveal him there must be a personal operation of the spirit of god in the heart for a man to be able to find god in the revelation that he's made of himself in his word now in colossians chapter 2 colossians chapter 2 paul said that your hearts might be comforted being knit together in love and unto all riches of the full assurance of understanding to the acknowledgement of the mystery of God. You know what a mystery is? A mystery is a religious truth known only by divine revelation. A mystery is something that you can't sit down and figure out on your own. A mystery is something you can't search the creation and find. The only way you're going to know it is if God Almighty tells you about it. If He doesn't, you'll never find it out. That's what a mystery is. And notice he said, the mystery of God. You see, God, you can't find him unless he reveals himself. God is an unknowable being. No man has seen God at any time. Canst thou by searching find out God? No, it's too high, it's too deep, it's too broad, it's too long. You just don't have what it takes to reach that far to find it out. The only way is if God condescends to make himself known. The mystery of God. But God has made himself known, as is obvious from this text, because this mystery of God can be acknowledged. We can know it. It's been made known. To the acknowledgement of the mystery of God and of the Father and of Christ, in whom are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Now notice, all that knowledge of God is all hidden in the Lord Jesus Christ. You cannot know God without knowing Christ. And of course, this mystery of God has been made known, as we say, and written for our learning. You know, God did not have to tell us about himself. God did not have to tell us about his great plan of salvation, called in the book of Ephesians, the mystery of his will. It is important for us to understand that for God to reveal Himself and His plan of salvation is itself an act of pure grace. You know what grace is? It's a favor. We talk about salvation by grace. Salvation by the favor of God, in which God freely saves some, and the individual has no claim on it. That's what grace is. If God saves us because He's obligated to do it, or because He owes it to us because of something we did, then it is not grace, it is debt. That's what Romans 4 says. If the reward is of works, if it's of works, then the reward is reckoned of debt and not of grace. If God is under any obligation whatsoever, it ceases to be grace in the matter of salvation. It's simply a freely bestowed favor, no strings attached. God does it because he wanted to. You know that not only is that true regarding our salvation, but that is equally true regarding the knowledge we have of our salvation. That too is of grace. Turn to Ephesians chapter 1, Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 7, and you will see this. That it is an act of the grace of God, not only to save us, but to inform us of his plan of salvation. To let us in on what he was doing. In Ephesians 1, 7, we read, In whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace. Now, there's our redemption, the forgiveness of our sins, our salvation, and it's according to grace. Wherein? In where? Wherein? In where? Where? In grace, he hath abounded toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known unto us the mystery of his will. Not only was it an act of grace for God to redeem us, but it was an act of grace for God to reveal to us his will to save us. Having made known unto us the mystery of his will, and he didn't have to do it. God didn't have to give us the New Testament. It's under no obligation to do that. No under, no obligation to us. "...having made known unto us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he hath purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both of which are in heaven and which are in, on earth, even in him, and whom also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestinated." There's the mystery of his will, see. And God in His grace has abounded toward us and that He has made that known to us. And He made it known to us in the Holy Scriptures because the Apostle Paul in chapter 3 said in verse 3 how that by revelation He made known unto me the mystery as I wrote afore in few words whereby when ye read ye may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ. God in grace selected the apostles and through them committed to us the knowledge of His will. So that when we read their writings, when they understand the plan of God to save us. That is the revelation that God has made of himself and of his plan. Now turn to Job 28. Notice something. I just read this chapter today, and I'm just going to go through it and make some observations to you. We're talking about the revelation of God, of himself and of his will and of his plan. God has not only revealed to us that he is, but he's revealed to us what he plans to do. And it's all an act of grace. Now we read, Surely there is a vein for silver and a place for gold where they find it. Now he's going to be talking to us here about the earth and the treasures of the earth. Down there, there's a vein in the earth, and silver's running through it. The blood of the earth, and a place for gold where they find it. Iron is taken out of the earth, and brass is molten out of the stone. You know, I was doing a Bible study one time on the book of Jeremiah, and it was talking about the iron. We had a fellow in the group, one of these uh, college-educated idiots, that was really having a struggle because supposedly during the days in which Jeremiah wrote, iron had not been discovered. To which I would retort, let God be true, but every man a liar. They had iron back then and brass. Daniel saw a vision with gold, silver, iron and brass in it. Iron is... I don't know when they think it was discovered. I don't care when they think it was discovered. Been around a long time. Iron is taken out of the earth and brass is molten out of the stone. He setteth an end to darkness. I can remember when I was a little boy getting depressed thinking about outer space and all that darkness never ending. Well, it ends somewhere because the Bible says, I don't know where, but it's somewhere out there. You keep traveling in your rocket ship, you'll reach an end to the darkness. He setteth an end to darkness and searcheth out all perfection. The stones of darkness and the shadow of death. God searches all those things out. The flood breaketh out from the inhabitant, even the waters forgotten of the foot. You know, you can be walking along and there can be a fountain of water under your foot that your foot knows nothing about. And all of a sudden, one day, boom, break right out. You know, when you think of the flood, sometimes we only think of one thing. You know, God used two things to flood this earth. He used the windows of heaven and the fountains of the deep. I mean, water was coming from both sides. There's water running up under this earth, and in the days of the flood, God just broke it wide open. I mean, there were just geysers and water gushing out all over the place. I mean, you can imagine what that must have been like. Not only were the heavens thick with the clouds breaking in furious rain torrents, but also the ground was breaking up under your feet, doubtless, horrendous earthquakes as the fountains of the deep were broken up. Tremendous cataclysmic changes in the earth as the fountains of the deep were broken up. And here you are standing on dry ground, and the next news you know, you're standing in the middle of a lake. The flood breaketh out from the inhabitant. You know, there's a lot about this world we don't know. You know, they talk about an energy crisis. Let's just keep reading. The flood breaketh out from the inhabitant, even the waters forgotten of the foot. They are dried up. They are gone away from men. That happens. You know, those waters were broken up. The fountains of the deep were broken up, flooded the earth, and then dried up. And as for the earth, out of it cometh bread, and under it is turned up as it were fire. There's a volcano. There's fire underneath this earth. You know, you can only go so far. And then eventually just gets too hot to stand it. The stones of it are the place of sapphires and it hath dust of gold. There is a path which no fowl knoweth and which the vulture's eye hath not seen. I mean, there are caverns and paths underneath the sea and underneath the earth. We don't know anything about. The lion's whelps have not trodden it nor the fierce lion passed by it. He putteth forth his hand upon the rock. He overturneth the mountains by the roots. And he does that. He cutteth out rivers among the rocks. I mean, these rivers don't just evolve over the process of time, washing their way the sediment until finally they cut themselves out a little path. No, God cuts the rivers among the rocks. And his eye seeth every precious thing. He bindeth the floods from overflowing. That's the only thing that's keeping us from being drenched right now. You know there's more water in the world than there is land. Dry land. The only reason in the world we aren't drowning right now is God has set a boundary on the floods. And he says to the proud waves, Hitherto shalt thou come and no further. And if you ever stand out by the ocean at night when the tides come in, the ocean's trying awfully hard to cover the place, but it just can't do it. It's very interesting to watch those waves. They stretch just as far as they possibly can. And then they have to back back. You know why? Because God is... Sa- Don't talk to me about gravity. All that stuff, all these scientific terms to explain the fact that God Almighty says you've come as far as I'm going to allow you. Scram! And the wave just retreats. You know, it's interesting how God compares the nations of men to the seas. All the time raging, going just as far as they can, trying to overpower God, but they can't. That's man. He's just like the waves. He stretches just as far as he can. But God says, hitherto shalt thou come and no further, and he has to back back. He bindeth the floods from overflowing, and the thing that is hid bringeth thee forth to the light. Be sure your sins will find you out. But where shall wisdom be found? Now he's talking about all the depth of the riches of the earth, the iron, the brass, the silver, those veins and paths that no vulture's eye has ever seen, no man knows of. He bindeth the... Can you just think? There's a, there's a world underneath the ground, as it were, that we know nothing about. I don't think we have even begun to tap the resources of this planet. They talk about population explosion and energy shortage. And I get up in a jet and I'm flying over the dominion of Canada and the vast uninhabited spaces. And I think to myself, what must be underneath all of that that we haven't even touched? That's what Job is telling us. There's a lot down there. There's wealth down there. We live on a very rich planet. But where shall wisdom be found? Where's the place of understanding? Man knoweth not the price thereof, neither is it found in the land of the living. Now, boy, you know the Lord is uh, here. He just doesn't spare a man in the least. I hear are men with all of their institutions of education, and God asks the question: Where is wisdom? It is not found. Or somebody said, "Why? It's in the library." Well, that's what you go to college for. God says it's not in the land of the living. The depth saith, oh, I love this. The depth saith, it is not in me. And the sea saith, it is not with me. Now, you know why you have all this exploration of outer space and men all the time trying to explore things they haven't explored before. Oh, yes, in some cases, they're searching for the riches of this earth to enrich themselves. But there's something more. They're trying to discover the secrets of the universe. Canst thou by searching find out God? Now, I think of that, the way they name those spaceships. Challenger. What are they challenging? Discovery. What are they trying to discover? The depths say, if it's not not in me. I mean, you want to find out God? Go to the sea, and it will say, I'm not in here. You're looking in the wrong place. Search the galaxies. They will scream, they're not in me. It cannot be gotten for gold. Neither shall silver be weighed for the price thereof It cannot be valued with the gold of Ophir With precious onyx or the sapphire The gold and the crystal cannot equal it And the exchange of it shall not be for jewels of fine gold No mention shall be made of coral or of pearls For the price of wisdom is above rubies The topaz of Ethiopia shall not equal it Neither shall it be valued with pure gold Whence then cometh wisdom? And where is the place of understanding? Seeing it is hid from the eyes of all living. See, you cannot by searching find out God. Man cannot in all of his exploration of the galaxies and of the worlds find out God by that means. It is hid from the eyes of all living and kept close from the fowls of the air. Destruction and death say we have heard the fame thereof with our ears. God understandeth the way thereof, and he knoweth the place thereof. For he looketh to the ends of the earth, and seeth unto the whole heaven, to make the weight for the winds. And he weigheth the waters by measure, when he made a decree for the rain, and a way for the lightning of the thunder. Then did he see it, and declare it. He prepared it, yea, he searched it out. And unto man he said, Behold, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom, and to depart from evil is understanding. Wisdom and understanding are not found by searching the creation. God did not reveal Himself there as we need to know Him and understand Him. It is revealed in the fear of the Lord. And you know where the fear of the Lord is found? How do you? What is it to fear God? How do you find that out? Here it is. I'll show you what I mean. Turn to Deuteronomy chapter 4. And here we have the revelation of God made in His law. Notice what happens when you hear and hearken to what God is revealed in His Word. Notice what you learn. In Deuteronomy 4, 9 and 10, "...only take heed to thyself, and keep thy soul diligently, lest thou forget the things which thine eyes have seen, and lest they depart from thy heart all the days of thy life, but teach them thy sons, and thy sons' sons." You know, if you don't take diligent heed to this book, you'll forget it. It's amazing how quickly it gets away from you, if you let it. Especially the day that thou stoodest before the Lord thy God in Horeb, when the Lord said unto me, Gather me, watch it now, the people together, and I will make them hear my words, that they may learn to fear me. What is wisdom? It's the fear of the Lord. But the fear of the Lord is something that we learn by taking heed to His words. That's where wisdom is found. That's where understanding is found. It's in the Word of God. And not in all of the vast creation. It's as close as your Bible. Deuteronomy 17 It's where God has revealed himself in Jesus Christ and recorded and preserved it. And those illuminated by the Spirit of God, when they search that book in faith, find the fear of the Lord, which is wisdom, and they depart from evil by obeying that book, which is understanding. And it shall be with him the copy of this law. It shall be with him, and he shall read therein all the days of his life. He shall read that he may learn to fear. The Lord is God. The fear of the Lord, that is wisdom, and that is learned in the revelation that God has made of himself in his word. It's very important that since God has revealed himself, and we can know God and comprehend God through that revelation, it's very important that we do that. For unless we understand God as he has revealed himself in his word, we cannot rightly worship God. In John chapter 4, Jesus said to the woman at the well in verse 23 or verse 22, he said, you worship, you know, not what there's a lot of people doing that. They don't know what they're worshiping. Oh, they're worshiping. They don't know what they're worshiping. We know what we worship for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour cometh and now is when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. And Jesus Christ is the one that has come and has given us an understanding that we may know him that is true. If you don't worship God as God is revealed in his word, you don't know what you're worshiping. These people who worship a God that loves everybody and wants to save everybody and is given everybody a chance aren't worshiping the God of the Bible. They're not worshiping in truth. They think they're worshiping God, but in reality, they don't know what they're worshiping. God must be worshiped in truth. In Psalm 47, it's made very clear in verse 47... Psalm 47 verse 7, I'm sorry For God is the king of all the earth Sing ye praises with understanding Boy, that just knocks the charismatics out of the window They sing praises without understanding But you know, it locks a lot of us out of the window The times that we sing praises And we pay no attention to what we're singing Pay no attention to what we're saying I often think of that verse where the Lord says, You hypocrites, you draw nigh with your lips, but your heart is far from me. Sing praises with understanding. God is worshipped in truth, if he's worshipped at all. Not only that, not only must we comprehend and understand God in order to acceptably worship him, but we also need to comprehend and understand God in order to know whether we have eternal life or not. For we read this in John seventeen three. This is life eternal, this is life eternal, that they might know Thee, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom Thou hast sent. The ability to know the true God and Jesus Christ is life eternal. Now they don't get the Arminian has that text all twisted around. He says you've got to know Jesus Christ in order to get life eternal. But that text says if you know Jesus Christ, you have eternal life because the knowledge of the eternal life is the ability to know God. And Jesus Christ. You've got to have the life to know, because this is life eternal that they might know, that they might have that ability to know. Jesus Christ God, the true God, and Jesus Christ to me at sent. So that, my friends, if you are able to comprehend God as he is revealed in his word, then by that you may know you have eternal life. It's as simple as that. You reason from the effect back to the cause. And then, of course, this revelation that God is made of himself is the thing that we as Christians are to glory in. Listen to Jeremiah 9, 24. But he let him that verse 23, let not the wise man glory in his wisdom, neither let the mighty man glory in his might. Let not the rich man glory in his riches, but let him that glorieth glory in this, that he understandeth and knoweth me. It's all right for you and I to be proud of what we know and the glory in what we understand. Now, a lot of people get offended by that. But the Lord says, Let him that glorieth glory in this, that he understandeth and knoweth me, that I am the Lord, which exercise loving kindness, judgment, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, saith the Lord. Paul said, God forbid that I should glory, but in this one thing, save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom I am crucified to the world, and the world to me. And of course, to be without this knowledge of God, as he has revealed himself in, the wor- uh, in his word, is to be in a very fearful state of affairs. For we read in Second Thessalonians 1 and verse 8, that the Lord Jesus Christ is going to appear in flaming fire, be revealed from heaven in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God. And obey not the gospel. Notice the connection. They don't know God, and they don't obey the gospel. And that disobedience to the gospel is your key to why they don't know God, for God is revealed in the gospel. And when men reject the gospel, then they have rejected the very knowledge of God. The Gentiles, in First Thessalonians chapter 4, in verse 5, are said to be those that know not God. And we're told not to possess our vessel in the lust of concupiscence as those Gentiles which know not God and obey not the gospel. Now I want to point out something, we have seen the fact that God has revealed Himself in Jesus Christ and inscripturated that revelation in His Word so that by that means we may understand and know Him that is true. Now I want to point out another thing that's very important about this, and that is the premium we place upon that revelation of God and that knowledge we have of Him. Remember, turning back to Job 28, what he said about wisdom and understanding. He said it cannot be gotten for gold. Verse 15, Neither shall silver be weighed for the price thereof. It cannot be valued with gold. And he lists off all these precious stones and points out the fact that none of this wealth can in any way be equaled to knowing God, to wisdom. Listen to Proverbs chapter 3, verses 13 through 15. Happy is the man that findeth wisdom, and the man that getteth understanding. You know, a man that's got a King James Bible and believes it is a happy man. But the man that spends all of his time trying to find out all the mysteries of the universe by going to outer space and scuba diving and taking up the quest of the seas and the quest of the mountains and the quest of the caverns, well, he's always searching Always searching, like Paul said, ever learning, but never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. You think of the people that are ever, ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Look at Albert Einstein, ever learning and died in ignorance. Isn't that sad? Ever learning, but never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. But here's some fellow over here, maybe he didn't even complete high school, but can read his King James Bible and believes what he reads. And he's happy. Happy is the man that, oh, I know the educated man looks upon him as some ignorant, poor, superstitious fool. But he's happy. And he's satisfied The Bible says, what was it there in Proverbs 19? The man that has the fear of the Lord, which is wisdom and understanding, shall abide satisfied. Happy is the man that findeth wisdom and the man that getteth understanding. You know, that's an unspeakable blessing to be able to live in this world and be satisfied. How few people are satisfied because they've never found that which satiates. And that's wisdom, the whole duty of man, that which makes for a complete life, to fear God and keep his commandments. Happy is the man that findeth wisdom and the man that getteth understanding. You know, for people that know Jesus Christ and study their Bibles, that's so true. I, I, it's amazing to me how sometimes when the Lord gets me all riled up and we're unearthing things out of the Bible and people are sitting there and they're smiling and they're laughing and sometimes they're shedding tears and they're having a ball. There's somebody else who'd think we're crazy. Well, the Bible says if you would be wise, you must become a fool. That is in the eyes of the world. Happy is the man that findeth wisdom, and that getteth understanding. For the merchandise of it is better than the merchandise of silver, and the gain thereof than fine gold. She is more precious than rubies, and all things that thou canst desire are not to be compared unto her. God has revealed himself, and through that revelation we may know him and his son Jesus Christ. Now how highly do you value that knowledge? And that understanding that God has given to you of himself. How highly do you value it? In Psalm 109 and verse 72, David said, The law of thy mouth is better unto me than thousands of gold and silver. I want you to notice how that the revelation of God is spoken of as a treasure. Paul, when speaking of the gospel, said in 2 Corinthians 4, 8, we have, 4, 7, we have this treasure in earthen vessels. Remember, Paul spoke of the riches of understanding over there in Colossians chapter 2 and verse 2. Notice the apostle Paul said in his preaching in Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 9, He was making all men see what is the fellowship, pardon me, verse 8. Unto me who am less than the least of all saints is this grace given. See, notice it was an act of grace for God to reveal himself. It was an act of grace for God to select the apostle Paul to pen the revelation, to pen the mystery of God. Unto me who am less than the least of all saints is this grace given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. Observe how that wisdom and understanding and the revelation of God and that which we preach is called a treasure and riches and all earthly riches are not even to be compared. Job lists off a whole stack of stones and precious things and they can't even equal wisdom and understanding. And we're told this. In Proverbs chapter 23 and verse 23, Buy the truth and sell it not. Also wisdom, instruction, and understanding. You know what the Lord is telling you there? Be willing to pay a price to gain the truth. And don't ever exchange it for anything else. Now, right there is where a lot of people let the truth go. They're not willing to buy it They're not willing to spend for it You know why? Because they don't value it highly enough You know a lot of people think we in the Detroit church are out of our heads Because the average person in our church drives 45 minutes to get to church to hear a sermon on Sunday You know the people in... Can you imagine what people in Grand Rapids think of the Yonkers? There they are, they drive two and a half hours one way. You know that costs money. They stack up in that van on Sunday morning and those things don't operate cheap. They're gas guzzlers. And the Yonkers would not be insulted by me passing on this little piece of information. They are not independently wealthy. They do like the rest of you scrimp, scrape, and pinch pennies to get by and they drive two and a half hours one way at personal expense Why do they pay that price? Because of what they get at the other end of the line They'd rather drive two and a half hours and hear the truth in Detroit Than to go five minutes and hear a lie in Grand Rapids They don't mind and you know they don't seem to mind it. Oh, I know it gets irksome I tell them it bothers me worse than it does them I feel sorry for you people. I'd hate to do that every Sunday, but then again it all depends on the premium you place on the truth You love the truth. You're willing to do it In fact, they like what they're getting at the Detroit church so much. They've kind of got mixed emotions They're not sure they even want a church in Grand Rapids Because they like what they get in Detroit Don't you know people look at them and think you've got to be out of your heads to be driving two and a half hours one way to go to church when Grand Rapids is the little Jerusalem and there's churches on every corner Not like ours. You know, some people, they say, well, is there anything like this in my neighborhood? No. A fellow asked me the other day, we got anything like this in Milwaukee? No. And I know they don't. I've not searched the yellow pages. I just know it's not there. Because I've been around, friends, and I know what the average town has. They don't have this. You know, I, I don't know, you know, that 30 minute drive, I drive 30 minutes one way, I'm, I have the shorter distance compared to some, it doesn't bother me, I'm used to it. And don't even think about what it costs. I just consider what I get when I get there is worth more. Like Solomon said, the merchandise of it is better than gold and rubies, nothing you can desire can be compared. I sometimes wonder if the Lord didn't make our church inconvenient just to challenge some people to see whether they love the truth enough to get in that car and head across town to find it. Some of you probably in witnessing to your friends, they kind of like what they hear and then when they find out you drive 45 minutes to an hour, it's kind of like, oh, I don't want to do that. Well, if you don't want to, then don't. You'd rather go here alive than go and answer to God for it, not me. You know, if they don't love it enough to drive across town and get it, I figure they don't love it very much. You know, maybe I'm a little off base here, but I don't think I am. I mean, Jesus left heaven and spent his lifeblood for my soul. What's a little gas to go across town and hear the gospel preached? Great guns! Where's our values? Jesus said this in Luke chapter 14 and verse 25, there were great multitudes, went great multitudes with him, and he turned and said unto them. Look at what he said to the crowd. Now this, this is the way to win a crowd. This is a way to enamor the masses with your preaching. Here's this big crowd, and he says, if any man come to me... And hate not his father and mother and wife and children and brethren and sisters yea and his own life also He cannot me be my disciple. I wonder how that went over Doesn't go over very good today. I doubt it went over very well then And I've seen men have to do that to follow Jesus Christ. I have seen families wrecked because of the gospel I've watched people give up their jobs give up jobs where they made handsome incomes, thousands of dollars to live at working pittance. We've got a man out in Las Vegas that used to be a dealer and they make good money, hundred bucks a day. Thousands upon thousands of dollars gave up his job to follow the Lord Jesus Christ and what he does for a living now in Las Vegas, Nevada, without air conditioning, detailing cars in a car wash. Great God. Well, but you see, it all depends on what premium you place on the truth as to whether it's worth it or not. He said, And whosoever doth not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. And he says, Which of you intending to build a tower sitteth not down first and counteth the cost, whether he have sufficient to finish it? Lest haply after he hath laid the foundation and is not able to finish it, all that behold it begin to mock him saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king, going to make war against another king, sitteth not down first, and consulteth whether he be able with ten thousand to meet him that cometh against him with twenty thousand? Or else, while the other is a great way off, he sendeth an ambassador, and desireth conditions of peace. So likewise, whosoever he be of you, that forsaketh not all that he hath. He cannot be my disciple. <laughs> my friends, not only must you be able to spend, not only must you be willing to spend a little money for gas, I mean, you've got to be willing to chalk it all. If need be, for the Lord Jesus Christ, and I've seen people do that. Give up everything for the Son of God. And actually be happy to do it. Whosoever he be of you that forsaketh not all that he hath, he cannot be my disciple. Jesus is teaching in that parable, count the cost. It's going to cost you something to follow me. But then on the other hand, what is all of that that it costs you in relation to what you get in return? As the Apostle Paul said in Philippians chapter 3 and verse 8, Yea, doubtless if I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and do count them but dung that I may win Christ. Everything that the Apostle Paul spent to buy the truth he said, as far as I'm concerned it's worth dung. Waste. That's the, I don't even consider that it was I really lost anything. I just write it off as waste. I'm no more interested in conserving that than I am my own waste. Let's write it off. For the excellency of the knowledge. See, notice the premium he placed on the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ, on the understanding, on the gospel, on the truth, and gaining that knowledge as it is preached by a man that preaches the book and not a lie. How greatly do we value what we get from the pulpit. What we get in the worship. You know, the Lord said the kingdom of heaven was like to a man that found a pearl of great price went and sold everything he had to buy it. Whosoever of you forsaketh not all that he hath cannot be my disciple. Buy the truth and sell it not. You know, I pray God... This is one of my prayers, because it's one of Paul's prayers for all of you. It is found in Ephesians 1.17... That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that ye may know what is the hope of his calling and what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. You know what church members are called? Saints. You know what the churches are called? Churches of saints. And do you know to whom the revelation is directed? Notice Colossians 1.26. Even the mystery which hath been hid from ages and generations, but now is made manifest to his saints. That's where God manifests his mystery, to his saints. You know, that's what we're doing in church on Sunday morning. We're a church of the saints coming together as a church of the saints. And in the preaching, God is manifesting to us the revelation that he's made of himself. We're told in Ephesians 3.10... To the intent that now under the principalities and how heavenly, and powers and heavenly places might be known by the church the manifold wisdom of God. God's manifold wisdom is unfolded in the teaching that is done in his church, which is called the pillar and ground of the truth. That's why we like to go to church. Because there we gain wisdom and understanding, which is incomparable. To anything else in terms of wealth and pleasure that this world can afford. Everything you can desire is not to be compared with the wisdom and understanding that's made known in the church among the saints. Now notice, it speaks of the riches of God's glory and his inheritance in the saints. In other words, the Lord God Almighty highly values his church where his wisdom is made known. No wonder David said that a day in God's house He'd rather be a doorkeeper in God's house A day in God's house was better than a thousand In the tents of wickedness God's saints, his inheritance in the saints You know, Jacob is his portion and the lot of his inheritance You know, when we come together In the church as the Lord's saints We, right there, are God's possession God's treasure, God's lot God's inheritance and he's invested a lot of glory there and would God that he would open the eyes of your understanding to see how much glory God has invested in that institution where it is made known and manifested the mystery of his will you see what we do there on sunday mornings pretty important isn't it you know after you've been after you've been sitting there at the gold mine And filling your coffers full. Can you imagine going back to one of these churches out here in the community that you could get to in five minutes? You know what some of us have said? After I've been in this for a while, if I couldn't have this, I wouldn't even want to go to church. I'd rather stay at home. I think I'd honor God better by staying at home and waiting for God to provide for me the real McCoy than go through the motions in something that's a lie. That's the way I feel about it. Can you imagine after you've been hearing Free Grace all these years, going every... Imagine going back to Rochester Hills. How long was the sermon? About half an hour? About that? Half an hour was spent begging for money, passing the collection plate, listening to the choir, and making announcements of all the programs, and then 30 minutes, and I don't care what verse they took, they always came back to John 3.16 soul winning and what you need to do to keep them going to hell. Every message always came back to that. Can you imagine that? I, I can't. I, I can You know, I, I, I couldn't even go back to the... I couldn't even go back to that primitive Baptist church I used to be in. I could see me sitting in a service, and some preacher get up there and say, Oh, dear brethren, oh, I believe oh, that uh, the world oh, uh, is the true church of uh, the world. Uh, oh, yes, uh, quite surely I couldn't stand that. I couldn't go back to that. And I'm not really <laughs> exaggerating all that much either. Oh, mind you, there's a good sermon here and there. Well, I mean, even the Pope presents a half-decent homily now and then, but I ain't going back to that stuff. Even my Methodist pastor managed to cut a good one once in a while. But I mean, what's once in a while when you can have it every Sunday? You know, why, why perish for leanness when we have the fat pastures of Zion's Mountain to eat from under the shepherding of our greater David, the Lord Jesus Christ, who feeds his people with knowledge and understanding by the pastors he sends after his own heart. That's what I want. May God grant a rich increase of that in our day.